I thought that Justin, um, especially in that second half when we were more one-dimensional, I thought he was really, really good with his decision-making of being able to, whether it was push up in the pocket, push out, and then he didn't take a lot of hits, right? He scrambled, he got down. He kept his eyes downfield. The, the, at the end of the game, the one of Demir, where he scrambled out, Demir jumped up high, made a catch, got two feet in. Really, really good play. Um, the, the first third down, the only catch that Mooney had, that's a big boy throw right there that he made with a guy in his face to, uh, to Mooney on the first drive. You know, Matt Nagy talking about Justin Fields right there. That analysis that he gave about Justin Fields is sort of what it has sounded like for all of Justin Fields' game, although, or his season, although Matt Nagy didn't really dig into any of the negatives in that. That was not the point of what he was saying right there. But Justin Fields' season has been a... A, has been less than average. You know, it has not been good. But in every single game, as Matt Nagy was outlining, he makes a few plays that you look at and you go, hmm, wow. Like, you do the little eyeball thing on Twitter. You know, you're just like, ooh, wow. Yeah, and that's what keeps you coming back at this point. Poor year with big moments, you know, and that's that's what it has been. That's what the answers typically are if you read between the lines from the coaches when we speak to them. And, you know, Fields, 18 of 33, 224, two TDs and two picks. One one of those picks obviously being a pick six. It has to be to be pointed out. So um, that that has been what it has been in terms of the analysis. And I, I, I agree with it. And I think that I think that Justin Fields can be great elite but it's just it's it is not there yet you're not seeing it i'm not seeing it at least i don't think that you are seeing it right now i'm mark Grody. welcome back on chicago sports radio 670 the score i'm here with you until nine o'clock tonight we are going to be joined by mark potash of the chicago sun times one hour from right now eight o'clock but right now let's keep the bears talk hot with Aaron Lemming, he writes for CBS, The Bear Report, and Windy City Gridiron. And it's been a long time, Aaron. Have I even talked to you this regular season? You know, I don't think so. I, I really don't. But I always appreciate the awesome intros. You know, Mortal Kombat intro, I mean, it's, it's, it's really hard to beat. It's a, it's a lot better than having to watch the Bears on a weekly basis right now, that's for sure. Oh, man. You know, and see, because I, like, stopped playing video games a long time ago in my life, like when I was 12, I didn't, I wasn't there for the Mortal Kombat, and I think this happened one time before as well, so I apologize for not making a bigger deal about the music that was played (laughs) for your introduction. And now I know what that was all about, because I was like, this sounds ridiculous. What is this? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a Mortal Kombat intro. You know, it's funny because I've never really been much of a video game person either. But you know, growing up in the Mortal Kombat era, and then you know they had the they had a one really good movie in the early '90s, and then they followed up with a terrible one, and then they came out with an okay one this last year. But yeah, I think I think Adam just does that for me because I was so jacked up on the new movie that came out this past year, and you know, just kind of riding the riding the tidal wave at this point, right? 
Yeah, I guess so. I'll let you two talk about that another time. So I think uh, <laughs> I, I do appreciate what you both do for each other. But one of the things, actually, speaking of Adam Stadzinski, our producer, as we were coming back, he kind of said, hey, do, do you have any idea where you want to start um, in this interview? And I, I said, you know what? I, I don't think I've talked to Aaron all year, so I'm going to start right from the beginning. I want to know his thoughts on on Justin Fields and what, what have you seen from Justin Fields? Do, have you, do you like what you've seen? Give it to me, man. Well, I think really you, you kind of nailed it in the intro there. I, I think it's been a mixed bag, and it, it's kind of one of those things. I don't know what fans were expecting, but it seems that there there was higher expectations, which I understand, okay? You know, especially last year when he watched Justin Herbert go out and just light it up in his rookie year, right? But that's not – that's not a normality, right? And and just looking at the draft class this year, you know, out of the there's been obviously the five uh, first round rookies that have started at least one game. Trey Lance being that one game, but when you look at everybody around the league right now within those those rookie quarterbacks, the first round rookie quarterbacks, I mean, Mac Jones is the only one consistently playing well. And I, you, I mean, really, if you compare the situations, there's one common denominator to why, you know, he's been so much different from everything else. And it's because he's got the best head coach, you know, NFL head coach of all time. And they understand what to do with him. Right. And then you look at, I, I, you know, I don't know how closely you're following New York media or the Jacksonville media. But the sky is falling in New York right now with Zach Wilson. And don't get me wrong, man. Zach Wilson has had his moments where he has looked really bad, and he's had some moments when he's looked pretty good. Trevor Lawrence was, you know, Bill, the second coming of uh, Andrew Luck or Peyton Manning, you know, whatever, the, you know, the last great uh, quarterback prospect to come out. And he's having issues too. But, again, you look at that, you couple that with Justin Fields, they all have the same thing in common. Their offenses are terrible. The coaching is questionable. They don't have a lot of weapons around them. The offensive line has been bad for all of these guys, you know, and kind of circling back to Justin Fields. Obviously he's got some things to work on. He's a rookie quarterback. Nothing is going to be perfect. You can't make excuses. Like you pointed out, a pick six, it can't happen. But again, these are just the kind of things that you, you expect from a rookie quarterback, especially in a, in a, in a tough situation. What, here's what I will say. I, 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 I had slightly higher expectations this is kind of about where, you know, you know, I would say in the realm of where I expected just because of the situation and, you know, going into training camp and preseason and the regular season. I mean, if you've really looked at this team, the Bears were never going to be good offensively. It's like what, what would make anybody believe that they were magically going to be better? They had more questions on the offensive line than they have in years, and their offensive line hasn't been good in years. So I, I think really what it comes down to is there has been some progression – I think the most important thing is there's been flashes, and that's something that you absolutely want to hold on to. Obviously, there's been a decent amount of bad as well. I think the big takeaway from all this, though, is simple. Matt Nagy and this coaching staff can be nowhere near Justin Fields when the 2021 season ends. It's just that simple. They have to get the right guy in here because you mortgage your future once again for another quarterback. You cannot afford to mess this up, regardless of who the GM is, regardless of who's calling the shots their entire future revolves around Justin Fields right now. And I think that that has to be understood. I think it will be understood, but what they do this off season with their coaching hires, what, you know, and maybe even the GM, whatever it ends up being, and obviously all the personnel moves, it has to be geared around Justin Fields. And I think that is going to be a much bigger factor for his future success or his future failure than anything we've seen so far on the field. Yeah. And I, 
yeah, look, I don't think Matt Nagy is is going to be the Bears head coach next year. And I started to get into this a little bit last night in terms of because somebody called or text and asked me like who who are some who are some of your names that you'd like to be the next Bears head coach and number one I really haven't started to put my list together if I do even put a list together and and number two at this point like I don't know what type of coach the the Bears would want because they've done it all. They've done it all. They've had, and I'm talking about recently, they had John Fox, the the old defensive guy. Obviously, Matt Nagy, big-time offensive guy. Mark Tressman, the the outside-of-the-box guy. What do you do? This guy's mysterious. He's from Canada. And I fell for all of that stuff. Like, I did find that interesting. At this point, I I don't care who, what type of coach it is. The number one thing, though, I want is for that, that, coach to be adaptable to to think to what is in front of him in terms of offense or defense to be adaptable that that is the word that that I would use but let me let me bring it back to to you now and do you have a type of coach that you would like the Bears to go after if a change is made and Matt Nagy is not here next year is there a type of guy and I don't know maybe you do have some names uh, in your brain that you're thinking about well, you know, I would prefer to see an offensive coach, but like you pointed out, I mean, the Bears have had a, a habit lately when they hire coaches of going with the weak point of the roster and making that the focus, right? I mean, if you look at it going back after Lovey Smith, they needed to get better on offense. They needed to do this for Jay Cutler. They needed to do that. So they bring in Mark Tressman, and obviously things fall apart, and their defense falls apart. And then what do you know? All of a sudden, John Fox is the next head coach. And John Fox can't field a good offense, and it's like, well, it must be the fact that he's a defensive coach, so we have to go back to an offensive coach, bring in Matt Nagy. I think the common thread here is, and obviously John Fox at one point was a good head coach. I think that you know the game is just kind of passing by in terms of you know the different eras and his philosophy. But I think the main key, like you pointed out, they just have to get the right guy in the building, regardless if it's an offensive mind, a defensive mind. It could be a special teams coach at this point. It doesn't matter. You just have to get the right guy in the building. Now, what I'm struggling with is, in I, I don't particularly have a list yet. What I will say is, looking through the candidates this year, I don't know that there's that one surefire name where you can kind of point that one out and say, hey, that's the guy that the Bears need to target. I know John Harbaugh has been, uh, you know, John Harbaugh and Jim Harbaugh. I know both, you know, with the, the Raiders, or the Ravens kind of being weird, and then obviously with Michigan and the Bears ties there. You know, the Harbaugh brothers, whatever, I know th- those are kind of sexy names. And then obviously – you know, the same thing with Ryan Day, but I think with a guy like Ryan Day, one, I don't think he's leaving Ohio State. I think the only tie that there really is is Justin Fields, but then you start looking, you know, outside of the, the college ranks, because I, I don't know that you can really project anybody else at this point. With everything that's happened with Lincoln Riley and and uh, Brian Kelly and all the different craziness that has gone on, I don't think there's going to be a lot to poach from the, the college football ranks. Then you start looking, and it's like, then you have to figure out, do you want to go with that that second-time retread with a guy like Josh McDaniels, who I think makes a ton of sense for the Bears, but the biggest question with a guy like Josh McDaniels is, one, is he going to leave New England? Two, if he you know agrees with the job, is he actually going to take the job, or is this going to be you know 2018 with the, the, the Colts all over again? <laughs> and three, how much has he learned from his time in Denver? I mean, he's a strong personality. I don't know, I don't know that that's particularly – a good fit in a place like Chicago, right? And then you look at a guy like Todd Bowles, another one. He's a defensive-minded guy. 
had a little bit of early success with the with the New York Jets. He's a great defensive mind. I mean, he's done really, really well almost anywhere he's gone. Is he ready for a second shot, right? And then you start looking at some of these other names, and it's like, you know, that's kind of the thing. All the, all the sexy names so far have been all the offensive-minded guys. Well, Brian Dable, I, I, I'm about out on him. I, there, there's just something about, and obviously just because he's a coordinator, you know, an offensive coordinator, obviously there's more to look at. There's a lot of troubling trends with him offensively, especially with his play calling. Like to abandon the run, it, it seems like there's just a lot of reliance uh, in areas that it reminds me, in a sense, of Matt Nagy, right? And then you, you know, it's like you can just go through. Byron Leftwich is another guy who may be a little too green. The same thing with a guy like Kellen Moore in Dallas. There's a lot of interesting names, but again, like you pointed out, they need – a head coach. They don't need an offensive coordinator. They need an actual head coach that can coach all three phases, and that's something that they really haven't had in a while. I just don't know, at least, at least from the 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 surface research that I've done. And obviously, I'm never going to know that much because I'm not sitting, you know, in an NFL front office or an NFL coaching staff. But at least on the surface, I don't know that there's really that one surefire, that one super attractive name, or that one can't miss type of you know type of target i mean even look at 2018 right matt Nagy was kind of the hot name matt patricia was a hot name both of those guys are about to be coordinators again i mean obviously matt patricia's already an assistant and you look at some of the other guys that have kind of been looked over frank reich was a guy that only got a job because josh mcdaniels bailed um you know it's just when you start looking at some of these other guys that have been hired sometimes it's not the name that gets most publicity that actually ends up being the most successful. So it's going to be very interesting. But again, all this ties back to what are they going to do at general manager? There's been a lot of talk about the restructure of a front office and what are they going to do with Ryan Pace? I think that honestly might be the bigger question right now. What do you think they should do? I Well, I think Ryan Pace should be gone. I mean, I don't – that's a that's the one thing. Like, I, I feel like Bears fans as a whole are really united on the fact that Matt and Hagee needs to leave, right? And that, that – that, okay, that's fine. But – who hired Matt Nagy? Who who has you know? It's like I feel like Ryan Pace got a lot of he got a lot of leash and rightfully so when he took over in in 2015 and he rebuilt the roster from the ground up in three years and 2018 was a competitive window. Everybody thought that was the beginning of their Super Bowl window. They go out, they trade for Khalil Mack, they have this monster offseason. They go 12 and four. They lose a heartbreaker in the playoffs. Since that point. What have they done? They've gone eight and eight, eight and eight, back in the playoffs last year, and then this year it's like they're they're basically guaranteed to have a losing season at this point. Um, it, it, I just when you look at his seven years of body of work and you see he was able to rebuild, he was able to get the team to a competitive window, and since that point he has bled down. They had the second oldest roster in the NFL going into Week One. How is that even possible, considering where they were a few years ago? And it's like you really start say, looking they, at they aged fast. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's just crazy. And then you look at their lack of depth. You look at their 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 cap issues that they're going to have, even moving into next year. I mean, the the reality of it is, they got 26 guys on the roster. They're going to have what 43 million dollars. They can make a few cuts. $43 million goes really quickly when you got to fill out the, you know, when you got to get to the rule of 51, when you got to fill out another 25 names on that roster and those guys oh, yeah. are costing six, 700,000, it goes quick. So he's made a lot of these moves and he's put the Bears in a really tough position over the last two years. Instead of saying, hey, this roster isn't working, we need to retool. 
he continued to kick the can down the road. There's just a lot of stuff where I, I think Ryan Pace needs to be gone. And this is what I will say. For as, as lukewarm as I am on the head coaching candidates, and again, you have to you know take this obviously with a grain of salt because I'm not in you know I'm not in an NFL front office. Uh, but what I will say is there are a lot of very, very, very intriguing uh, general manager candidates out there that I think it'll be very interesting. I think a guy that makes a lot of sense for them is Rick Smith, the old uh, general manager with the Houston Texans. Did a lot of really good things until Bill O'Brien run him out. But, man, there are so many good names uh, that are at least intriguing. Uh, at least to me, a general manager search would be a lot more fun uh, than a head coaching search would be. So you're not down with the whole, you know, bumping the, the reports that have been assumed that you have heard that, you know, one theory is that the Bears would bump Ryan Pace upstairs and be, you know, the president of something or other. And then he, he would get to hire or the Bears would bring in a general manager and essentially have an extra football person in the building. What do you think of that? Yeah, see, I, I think I think keeping Ryan Pace in any shape or form does it just doesn't make any sense because then you're really, at least in my opinion, I think you'd really limit the the importance and really the attractiveness of what that that opening could be because if you have Ryan Pace as the the president of football operations and he's still making all the calls and basically signing off whatever the GM's going to do. I can't imagine that they're going to be able to pull a very attractive name from that. I just, and I get it. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, the Bears ownership is what it is. George McCaskey and the McCaskey family is a great family. I, I, there's no debate about that. But at the same time, when you're talking about football mind, uh, I, I do think that George has a tendency, as he's shown, to get a little too too personal wrapped up in relationships. And I think that the only reason, objectively speaking, at least in my opinion, the only reason that Ryan Pace would stay around it would be his relationship with with ownership at this point. There's no other reason to keep somebody like that. Again, he hasn't been awful, but when you have a seven-year track record of two playoff appearances, no playoff wins, and one winning season in seven years, and your your roster has gone basically from down to up, back to down, there's just no justification for it. So, no, I, I think that would be a terrible idea. I do think, though, if they were to restructure the front office, and I know Jason Lockenford floated a report that's already been shot down, but a guy like Trace Armstrong, you bring him in as the president of football operations. The guy's got connections all over the place. He's a player agent. He's a coach agent. You bring him in and you say, okay, you know, as long as he has a good understanding of what he wants to do, let him hire the GM. Let him bring in a few pieces and then let the GM go out and find that coach and really just kind of restart it and restructure the front office to a point that we haven't seen with the Bears in a while. Because, I mean, the core fundamental issue comes down to this, right? There's only been a few constants over the last decade or two, and that's been obviously ownership and Ted Phillips. I know a lot of people like to blame Ted Phillips. I don't really think I'm in that boat. But when you continually cycle in GMs, when you're continually cycling head coaches and you're going through the same exact circle over and over and you're not sustaining any sort of success, maybe it's time to bring in a little bit more of a football mind and, and create that position of president of football operations and bring somebody in that really understands the game of football and how it all works, because clearly the Ernie Acorsi thing with him, you know, bringing in as a, as a consultant and hiring Ryan Pace and helping with the head coaching search, that clearly wasn't the path. So they, they have to figure something out because really all they're doing is they're going in circles. And if things continue the same, unless they get really lucky, it, you know, if they, if they let both of these guys go and they get really lucky and they could find, you know, the right general manager, maybe things break. But the, the, the more likely scenario 
is if they don't change anything up top, we're just going to see the same circle over and over again. It's just it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So I do think restructuring the front office makes a ton of sense. I don't think keeping Ryan in any shape or form makes any sense at all. Yeah, I think the the Trace Armstrong thing is interesting to me because you kind of indicated like what what he could do that he could, as you said, hire a a GM and not be the guy doing the drafting, but definitely a voice in the room. Um, you know, because Trace Armstrong, he he I, he played with him. For people who don't know, he, he had a a pretty decent career as a football defensive end, which started with the Chicago Bears, I think, in 1988. Um, and he has gone on to be an an agent essentially. He he is an agent. That that is what he does. He is not a scout. He has, for for all I know, he's not been a coach in any real capacity. So it it there there is that sort of concern that he doesn't have scouting eyes, but there could probably be a different purpose for him. And I think you're saying it too, in just doing business a different way. Is that, is that where we're going with this? I'm kind of trying to workshop this myself. Yeah. I, I think at some point you've got to, you know, if, if, if things aren't working at what you've been doing for the last you know decade or two, I think you've got to, you've got to keep going further up the ladder. Obviously you can't fire ownership. So you've got to play something, a football mine in the middle of ownership and the general manager and everything else that happens at the football operations level and, and figure out a way. I, and again, I don't know. I mean, that, that's not to guarantee that that's going to fix anything. But I, I think that you cannot continue to try the same things that you've been doing and expect it to work. I think that something else fundamentally has to change. And I know people have floated out the idea, well, you promote Ryan Pace, the president of football operations, and then you promote, uh, you know, uh, Champ Kelly, uh, you know, to – to the general manager. And again, maybe, maybe Kelly is a really good candidate, but again, my, my thought process behind it is how much is that really changing? Because you're still keeping the same exact voices in the room as what you had before. And you're just bringing in a new head coach. And I think that, you know, a decent part of the issue here for the bears, especially within the Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy era has been the fact that they not only have issues identifying talent, but they also have issues identifying the right pieces within the puzzle and the, and the other core concepts that go into running an actual football team. Like I said, there's nothing outside of the hope of Justin Fields and some, and, and some core roster pieces. There's not a lot to hang on to right now with what Ryan Pace has done and where this thing has, you know, really where this thing is currently at. I mean, they're, they're not in a very good spot to be able to turn things around quickly or have a lot to build on where a general manager or a head coach is going to come in. I, let's just put it this way. They're not. I, I would be shocked if they if they turn around and fired everybody and brought in you know brand new voices. I don't think that they're going to turn around and have a 12 win season like they did back in 2018 when when Matt Nagy took over. This is not the the roster is not in a spot. Their cap space is not in the spot. They don't even have a first or fourth round pick this year. It's really hard, and that's another thing. I mean, with, Ryan Pace has made some bold trade ups. Don't get me wrong, and and some of those have worked, and some of those haven't. But his lack of value with draft picks have really come back to bite the Bears over the last two years. I mean, if you look at the roster, one of the main reasons their roster is getting older is because they haven't had a ton of picks, and especially in their early rounds. And how are you supposed to supplement talent and keep things cheap if you don't even have guys that are being productive on rookie deals? It's just, like I said, the entire the entire process is flawed, and it just it seems like something's got to change, and it can't just be, yeah, we'll bring in a new general manager, and he'll hire the new head coach, and we'll have a consultant, and we'll figure it out. Like, it's got to be – you've got to take another step to try to right the ship at this point. 
Aaron, really strong stuff, man. Thanks for coming on, and uh, let's definitely talk more in the in what probably be the off season at this point, so we can figure <laughs> out figure out what happens, what needs to happen, and I always appreciate your insights, man. Thank you. Absolutely, man. Well, hey, thanks again for having me on. Four more weeks of this. Four more weeks, and then we can finally, you know, get get optimistic and and have some fun stuff to talk about again. So we'll see. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate you coming out. That's yeah. Aaron Lemming. He, he writes for CBS, Bear Report, Windy City, Gridiron. If you want to follow Aaron Lemming on Twitter, here's how you could do it. At Aaron Lemming NFL. Um, the double A Aaron. A-A-R-O-N. Lemming with one M. NFL. So give him a follow. His, his, his takes are always very good. Um, all right. Coming up next, well, let's get back to my other Twitter question, and that is who the best Bears player has been this year. I'll tell you what the results are, who the candidates are. I'll tell you who my pick is for the Bears MVP, essentially, this season. Also, Mark Podash coming up at 8 o'clock. I'm Mark Grody. This is Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Well, Al, Matt Nagy was so excited and thrilled for his team when I caught up with him at halftime. He said, I'm having so much fun. I mean, it was a really fun first half of football at Lambeau Field. It was. Like, I I get it. I get it, Matt. That was fun. And then it stopped being fun, and the, the Bears ended up losing to Green Bay 45-30 to 30 the other day. And um, that is why you heard that little blurb right there. I'm Mark Grody. Welcome back in on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score coming up in a half an hour from right now. Mark Potash of the Chicago Sun-Times. Hall of Famer Fergie Jenkins scheduled to join us right around 825 tonight as well. And you are always welcome to join the show. I keep the phone lines open for you. 312-644-6767 is the phone number. I asked you earlier who your rookie of the year was for the Bears this year and for me I told you it was Larry Borum, Khalil Herbert, Justin Fields in that order. The other question now is in a season that has been rough to say the least for the Bears, who has been the Bears best player this season? The candidates that I put up there on my Twitter poll at Mark Rody Sports are were Roquan Smith, Robert Quinn, Jalen Johnson, David Montgomery. Those were the candidates that I came up with. I will tell you right now the results of the Twitter poll, or at least the progress of it. Um, with 1,187 votes and 19 hours left to vote. <laughs> We're going to be up all night, folks. Um, who is the Bears player of the season? You say... The Bears' best player this season is Roquan Smith. There you go. <laughs> yes, congratulations to Roquan Smith being that 59.1% of the voters say Roquan Smith coming in second place a distant if you will is Robert Quinn with 32.9%, Jalen Johnson 1.7%. David Montgomery, 6.2%. I knew that the top, it would be top-heavy. However, I disagree with the poll. I disagree. I think Robert Quinn is the Bears' best player this year. Like, it's, I, it is close. Like, Roquan has been a 
an absolute monster this year. He was a monster last year, and I love linebackers. Like That has always been my favorite position in football. I love linebackers. Like I kind of think of myself as a bit of a, a linebacker historian, Bears linebackers historian. So understand Bears. that I would thank you. I would love to vote for Roquan Smith, and it hurt me not to. But it's Robert Quinn, man. He, good God, the way he has been affecting games this year, he looks like 2018 Khalil Mack. The way he plays and how low he gets to the ground and bends around that corner to the tune of. 14 sacks this year. Ladies and gentlemen, Robert Quinn has 14 sacks for the Bears this year. I know you probably knew that, but hear it. 14. And relative to last year's lost year for Robert Quinn, where he just looked lost all the time. It just did not play well. Um, Two sacks last year. So 16 now in his Bears career. To go along with that, just for the hell of it, 15 tackles for loss, 16 quarterback hits this year as well. And he could very well make Bears history this year. The single-season Bears sack champion right now is Richard Dent. Richard Dent had 17.5 sacks in 1984, also had 17 and 85, but the record is 17.5 sacks. So that's doable for Robert Quinn. And in Bears history, that's a huge deal. So it's not just something historic. To me, he's been the Bears' best player this season by a couple of hairs over over Roquan Smith. So, yeah, I, I, I go Quinn on that. Where do you go on that, Adam Stadzinski, my Bears meathead? I think I agree it's close, but I am going to disagree with you because I think it's Roquan Smith. Not that Robert Quinn, as, as you just said, has been awesome and has completely rejuvenated himself and is the guy that they is finally is playing like the guy that they signed him to be last year. I just think that Roquan Smith is affecting the game in in so many different ways. He he's not making that you know he doesn't make the splash plays per se that Robert Quinn does because well, he you know he doesn't blitz a ton so he doesn't get sacks. But he's just he's just all over the place and he is running through people this year. Like this, he just is such a complete linebacker. And yeah. I I I don't know if you would get past four interior linebackers in the NFL right now that I think are playing any better than him. So I just yeah I think that he is the Bears' best player right now. Not that, like, again, right, Robert Quinn's been awesome. And like I I thought he would be better this year. I didn't think he'd be this good. But Robert, Robert <laughs> getting the names mixed Roquan up Smith. Roquan yeah. Smith has just been un- unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, he's undeniable. This is not going to be one of those things where I'm going to debate people and go at you hard, like Robert Quinn is better than Roquan Smith. I just think he's my MVP. And, and also considering no matter how good Roquan Smith is or any inside or outside linebacker, well, inside linebacker is what we're talking about specifically because it matters, It Robert Quinn's position is more important than, to be good at that position is more important than to be good at linebacker. So maybe that fills my bias a little bit in, in this particular case. But Roquan Smith, you know, he, he had, Adam said running through guys. 
Dude is hitting hard this year. Like Roquan Smith, he he's always been gr- a great tackler, whether solo or combined, assisted, whatever. But he never had like, well, he wasn't like soft or anything like that. But he's hit. He, let's just put it this way: he's hitting harder than I have ever seen him hit on on the field this year. So he's got there's a little bit of there's a little more ferocity added to his very pretty actually linebacker style of playing because of of the running that he does. And look at this: 130 combined tackles this year. I think he had more than that. It was either last year or two years ago, but it was 139. So assuming health for him, and I guess we can't assume that about Roquan Smith. He's day-to-day right now, by the way, hamstring injury, same hamstring he had been dealing with. Um, So, but it's, you know, he's going to take that his own personal record to the sky if he gets in a few more games this season at least. And he's also got nine tackles for loss and three sacks this year for Roquan Smith. So you've had two like I mean Quinn and Smith, no doubt about it. They're they are they're not they're not just playing Pro Bowl level this year. They're play they're playing at an all pro level. Like they they should get consideration assuming, you know, and, and again, it always comes down to health with these guys and and that to continue to add to the season and the statistics. And <laughs> I don't know, it, especially Quinn catches Robert Dent. I mean, a uh, Richard Dent, you got to, that's a, that's a shoe in kind of thing. And then, you know, I had to have a couple of other players on there for the Twitter poll. So that's why I put Jalen Johnson on there. I didn't expect that he would get many, many votes just because of the obviousness of Roquan Smith and, and Robert Quinn, maybe someday, maybe someday for Jalen Johnson. I mean, he's really good. He's good. So uh, yeah, the Jalen Johnson sort of arc or crescendo from last year was like, he, he got out there last year and played and was like, ah, oh, interesting. He's good. Um, or he might be good. This is, and, and then this year it's, he's good. He's good. He's a good player. He, he's not a great player yet. Like he, he is not that lockdown guy that he wants to be. He is, by far the best cornerback on the Bears, but you know that is obvious relative to the competition. Um, but yeah, that that's where I put Jalen Johnson right now. He he's good. He's a good um, cornerback in the National Football League, and I think that there's like tons of room for him to be great, though. Like that that could occur down the line. And then the only other person I could think of on offense, I mean that is that is an indictment in itself that a, a team. A, or an offense whose identity once was Allen Robinson, nowhere to be found. Like you would have thought that that would have been the the offensive player that I would put up for MVP. And in a normal bear season, he would be. But I put David Montgomery in there. Um, you know, there simply isn't anybody else on offense that I could realistically look at and say, yeah, he's been their best player. Darnell Mooney has certainly had his moments. So has Justin Fields this year. But really, there's just not a lot of obvious guys in that. So David Montgomery it is with his 144 um, attempts this year, 608 yards, just over four yards per carry, 4.2 is where he, he stands right now. And I don't know. I don't know like what his ceiling is. He, he seems like a guy who is earnest and wanting to get better at everything that, that he does. 
um, but is he limited because of some of the other things in terms of, of his speed and things like that, like to get to like another level? You know, he could still be top five or top ten, but can he actually become elite? Hey, it's in play, and that's why he made the poll. But you guys said Roquan Smith. I'd say Robert Quinn by a hair, but it is a, a good talk. I was told that there was a really good eight minutes of my guy, Dave Wanstead, on the score this morning on the Molly and Haw morning show. So when we come back, I want to I wanna hear that too. I haven't heard it yet, so let's all listen to Wani next on Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score. I just go back to, the, to that we, you see in those first two quarters what we can be, regardless of who's not on that field, you know, for us with the injuries and stuff. And you get to see who you can be. And so I was, I was happy for the players that they got a chance to see who they can be. And, and then for us to, to end the game and with the loss and to not finish it, that's where I know it stings in that locker room. So there's no consolation. Um, we're 4-9. We're um, so that, that's the tough part. You know, I, hearing that quote from Matt Nagy again after the the Bears' loss, it is it is suddenly sunk into me what he was saying. And it's Mark Rohde here on the score. I, I mean, here's what I think is really going through his brain right there. He said, and it was a smart way to phrase it. He said, "There is, is an example of what could be, what could be, when in fact." Matt Nagy has to be thinking to himself, that's what could have been. That, and, and honestly, I never was making fun of the, like, this was fun uh, uh, from the sideline report from Green Bay. This is fun. This is fun. Because I think that Matt Nagy was probably like a little punch drunk because that, that is what that is what he envisioned when he came here. You know, so I, I don't want to like make this too deep of a moment or philosophical, but I do think that there was some things going on there that this this is what it was supposed to be. This is what it was supposed to be. This is what, like, Matt Nagy probably knows he's not going to be back, but he's like, this is what I've been talking about. Um, and he's had it a few times, and he was probably equally elated after, after those games as well. Even, hey, I, I'll even say this. The first game that I did sidelines for for the Chicago Bears was in 2018, the magical 2018 season. Where do the Bears open up? At Lambeau Field. Do you remember that drive, that first drive, that Mitchell Trubisky looked like just an absolute engineer on that drive getting into the end zone? It's like, holy wow, are we? Like, it was like slow motion. It's like, is this, wow, all the stuff we heard, there it was, and then it wasn't, and then it wasn't. So, yeah, it just kind of had that what, what it could have been like feeling from Matt Nagy and I wouldn't blame him for feeling that way. And maybe it helps him as, as he moves on to know that it could be, but things have to be different in, in your um, ability to be a little bit more versatile with, with your own offense. Um, All right, let's hear from Dave Wanstead, the former bears head coach and now regular on the score and over on NBC sports Chicago. And he was on the Molly and Haw show this morning. When you see a team run out of players, and let's be honest, they ran out of players in the secondary during that game, and it changed the way that they had wanted to attack, no question, and certainly the way they were attacking. Who is that on? Is that on decision-making, 
I know they operate as a cooperative. I know that everything is collaboration. <laughs> but when we're trying to figure out how in the heck can you not have the depth that another team has, how can you have made decisions and paid people that aren't available to you or aren't able to play well, who is depth on, in your opinion? Is that on coaching? Is that on development? Is that on the general manager and putting the roster together? Who do we blame? Well, you know, you have we, they have those discussions every week where you sit down and you would talk with the general manager. A lot has to do, obviously, you know, it, it, t- today it's it's kind of a revolving door from the standpoint. It's got to be very fluid, very flexible from the standpoint of injuries, obviously, we know. But it's the head coach talks to the general manager and it might be a week Hey, you know, these next two weeks, uh, we're going to face a team that's using three, four receivers. So we're going to need some extra defensive backs, you know. So a lot in, in the general manager, sometimes they, they're aware of that. Sometimes they're not. I don't think they your head coach should take that for granted. I think it's up to the head coach to go in and say, hey, Mike, um, you know, the next four weeks, you know, we're, we're going to need extra defensive backs because we're playing teams that – that are going to be throwing the ball a lot, and they're going to be using their wide receivers. And right now, we got two guys banged up, and uh, the matchups aren't going to be good. And then you look at the roster, and you say, "Okay, uh, were we a little bit heavy?" You know, and 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 you know, try to make an adjustment. Is it tight end, offensive line, run, whatever it might be? So th- those discussions go on every week, and it's got to be a little bit of a fluid situation uh, from the standpoint of. Um, you know, between injuries and now we're obviously the COVID thing is is stirred back up again. You've got to be able to deal with it. That's all part of it. Dave, you've been through this, and whether it was Sunday night after the game or yesterday when Matt Nagy was acknowledging the second-guessers and almost uh, saying he regretted punting rather than going for it uh, down 11 with 13 minutes left to go against the Packers, there seems to be this air of resignation uh, in his voice, in his manner, in his speaking. Is there a sense that when a coach knows what is happening inevitably, he just starts to, you know, accept it? And do you sense that from Matt Nagy? I don't think the, I don't know if the words accept it. I, I think it's a pretty clear picture, you know, what direction everything's going. You know, it hasn't turned around. You know, this was a big year for everybody. We talked about that. If you look at Justin Fields, we kind of said, okay, well, maybe it'll work out for Matt and everybody if Justin Fields really comes on and plays great. You know, he's he's made some improvement, and I hear Matt's, you know, the, the comments and stuff, you know, but but I don't know at this point where you'd say, wow, this guy is really turning into a superstar at this point. Uh, you know, he's going to need time. I don't know if the Bears will give him time, to be quite honest with you, and you know, the, the second-guessing thing, I mean, that's a whole nother issue. I mean, you can never show – a head coach can never show a crack in the armor, even though you think those things. I mean, there's been games where I said, boy, you know what, if I had to do that over again, I would uh, – you know, I, I wouldn't blitz. Or, uh, you know, you, that's normal. That's natural. That's 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 healthy to, to look at it and say, hey, maybe I should have done something better. But the minute you, you divulge that out to the public and the media – they're going to take it and run with it. And then, you know, we always talk about, hey, when you do a press conference and you say something, you're not just talking to the media. You're talking to your team and you're you're talking to the other coaches and you're talking to the owner and you're talking to the players. So now they're saying, oh, you know, I mean, they, they admire you for being honest. Yes. But the other side of the coin is you, you can't afford it. In the situation we're in right now, you cannot afford 
any other layers of um, of uh, what? doubt, doubt of doubt. All right, Dave. So you're in the game, and your left tackle goes down, uh, Jason Peters. Now you can argue that that should have been something anticipated that there yes. was an inevitability oh, sure. about it, given his age. Nonetheless, you bring in your second round draft pick, a guy you traded up for because you believed he could play left tackle, and you put him out there, and you go from just using him a couple times on special teams to now he's your starting left tackle and done and dusted, off you go, sink or swim, son, we're going to call a play, and then you realize maybe we should help him a little. He's jumped (laughs) off sides, he's held a couple times. So you have Jimmy Graham. Jimmy Graham is going to chip for him. And Jimmy, like, he he basically, I said to David, it seemed like he was – Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I don't want to bump into you, sir. <laughs> he burped on him. I mean, he, essentially, he, he, I don't know it. what he did. What, what is the role that that he's supposed to play on that particular spot? Is he the guy to do it? Do you have to figure out if you're going with your left tackle that maybe you can't go with your 34 year old, 35? How old is a guy? 90 year old tight end. I just thought they left that kid on an island, and he clearly wasn't ready for it. Yeah, I I, I was a little bit encouraged, though, for even though all those things happened, uh, Molly, I, I thought the guy competed pretty good, and he, he was not intimidated. The game wasn't too big for this kid, you know, so I, that's a that's an encouraging sign. I mean, he was, he was downfield trying to hit people that, you know, like the rest of the crew. So let's leave it at that. Now, yes, to answer your question, when you have the chalk in your hand, I use the word chalk, the mar- the marker, okay? We got the board right here. When I'm up on the board, that's the way you want to do it. You want to have your tight end chip with the tackle, and then it all works out on the board. You, no, I'm serious I now. know, because but and, and, you, draw, and, you draw the squiggle, so, but he makes contact. Wait, yes. And then wait, you get away from it. And, uh, wait, no, no, you, you, you got to picture this now. So you get up there, and you get the marker, and you say, yeah, our tight end, and you bang, he jabs him right there. He's going to hit him up under the ribs, okay, when he releases, and then he'll be late. So, he'll Justin, he'll be your third read because we're going to chip with him. You got it? Okay, good. Tackle now. Make sure you overprotect inside because you're going to be getting help on the outside. Everybody on the same page? Great. Well, now you got to go practice it, you know, and you got to do it, and, and that's, you know, that's where it comes into being effectively being able to execute something that's on the chalkboard. Shouldn't um, a veteran player? Jimmy has been in the Jimmy's league twenty done, something years. He's probably done that. I mean, it's it's not he. It's not that he can't do it. It's just it's that ma- he doesn't. He's a wide receiver. Yeah. Well, I mean that you know that's the disguise. Then you get into the disguise thing. Here, here you go. You know, do, do you want to p- put in uh, an extra lineman and just let him block right, and then you know it's secure. Or you're trying to get the best of both worlds. In this situation, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, they made a, a wrong decision. They're trying to get the best of both worlds. They're trying to get a chip, and then they still want a tight end in there that can go out and catch the ball. You know, that's the problem. I mean, if you want to protect them, well, I don't know who the best blocking tight end is. You Jesse know. James. Your yeah. guy, Jesse Your James. Your guy. <clears throat> Thank you. Put Jesse James in there and yeah. say, Jesse, if you once he's blocked, if you can release it a flat, that would be real nice, you know. But you make damn make sure, sure that he's block blocked, him. okay? That's your first priority. That's the difference. I mean, the scheme on you know in a clinic, I love saying that in a clinic, the scheme is perfect. 
How are you going to block for a rookie tackle, coach? Oh, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to have the tight end and bang. We're going to hit here and we're going to go in the flat. Hey, and he's still a viable option for the quarterback. Oh, okay. You know, it all sounds good. That's Dave Wanstead on the Mully and Haw show this morning on the score. The only thing I would say to add to that with talking about tight ends and blocking, I think actually Cole Komet has had a pretty good year blocking or maybe just nice moments blocking this year. Definitely better from from last year, so I feel like he's developed in that area. I'd still like to see Cole Komet become a bigger part of this Bears offense. I think he has to be has to to you know ultimately live up to where he was drafted and and what the expectations are of a tight end in this offense. However, there may not be the same offense with the Chicago Bears next year. So so we shall see. Always good to hear from the former Bears head coach, Dave Wanstead. When we return, we are going to talk more Bears with Mark Potash of the Chicago Sun-Times. I'm Mark Grody on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score.